Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy day after New Year's Day. It is me, House of Wrestling's Nick Hausman. And me, WWE Creative Issues, Robert Karpolis. And we are here to discuss all the latest rumor and innuendo here on Podcast Heats. Rumor and innuendo. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. A lot of people tuned in here to the start of the show. We love to see that. The chat room is open. Jump on in there. Chat along with us throughout the show. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your comments. If you're like Lucas Kinzer here, who says, good morning, uh, maybe we'll bring you up here onto the show, make you a little part of it here. Is that nice, Rob? We bring people in, tag, tag them in, tag them into the Dude, show. We literally, the single largest news weekend possibly in the history of professional wrestling takes place over the last three days. And here we are wishing, you know, Lucas a happy good morning. Dude, we got a lot to get into. We got a half hour. Look, I will be the one to say it right up at the front. We are not going to have time today to talk about Billy and the CW. Damn it. I'm Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. I was really hoping today was the day we were going to get to Billy and the CW. But you know what? We'll have to kick that thing down the road. Um, we do have a bunch to get into here. AEW World's End was this past Saturday night. We're going to talk about that. Kota Ibushi, surprise injury here, taking place last night. We'll give you the details on that. We got updates on Mercedes Monet, Andrade, Kevin Dunn leaving WWE. And I'm not sure if you know this or not. A little man named Dwayne The Rock Johnson popped up on WWE Raw last night. Ooh, we got to head of the table at WrestleMania. Ooh, you know. If I could have spent the next half hour just talking about the departure of Kevin Dunn, I would. That's how insane. Like, I have waited to write the professional obituary of this man since day one of my, my tenure at the WWE. And here we are. And it's like the ninth most important story. Nick, you, you scared <laughs> the shit, man. Where, wanted, where are we going with this? I wanted to end strong with the Rock and Roman Reigns because we are going to get into, obviously, the big story uh, coming out of World's End here to start. We'll talk all about World's End, uh, but was uh, the, the Chris Jericho uh, misconduct allegation story. Now, obviously, uh, a clip from our show went somewhat viral uh, shortly after uh, we recorded, um, talking about the Chris Jericho situation, right? Now, I want to be very clear that my opinions of Chris are my opinions of Chris. I I've heard a lot of things over the years. I don't personally like Chris Jericho. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. I think that there's a lot of issues there. Um, you know, there are other people that when issues come to the surface, it can take away from the legacy that they've created. And that is just a concern that I have for Chris. And that is all I ever meant by my comments. And um, that that then elicited a thread, that clip, um, where other people were, were starting to allude to previous allegations against Chris, uh, sexual misconduct allegations, uh, some of them involving, uh, I hate to say this because I have not personally mentioned her, and I really would like everybody to respect her privacy, and it's really... It's like so beyond at this point. I think but. if anybody wants to know who it was, they can go look it up. Yeah, online. go look online. I always who say it was. Yeah. yeah, and I think the I the, my takeaway, and again, I'm I'm the guy on the other side of the box. Right. Uh, I'm hearing what it was at the time. Wasn't even aware of that person or whatever these allegations were. Uh, I think you know the the general rumor and innuendo around Chris started from him blocking Nick when Nick posed something about NDAs. Yes. Right. Anyone. And we were having a, a broader conversation, and I think we've had this talk about a number of different folks where the concern about their long-term legacies based on allegations and things that have come out. A number of folks mm -hmm. I've worked with in wrestling who I enjoyed my time working with them, things came out about them. That was the end of it. Not saying anybody had knowledge or that people were saying, oh, stuff was being withheld or you know, we were hiding something. It was no. It was posing 
general comments that are somewhat out there in the ether, the fact yeah. that others dug in deeper on it, and it seems as though people were, I don't want to say endorsing, because I don't want to put words in someone else's mouth, but saying further, hey, let's ask these questions. And then we saw what happened at World's End. Yes. And what happened at World's End uh, was it's something I was real quick before we jump into what happened at World's End, Robert. I know there's been a lot of people who are upset with my NDA tweet and kind of how it came about. And I just want to let everybody know that it wasn't just like some jab. I was lucky to take a Jericho. Uh, I knew full well that it was probably going to hit in some way. I didn't know that it would hit near as hard as we've seen it hit. Um, but I'm just tired of watching Chris just bully people around and be, you know, very abrasive, uh, especially publicly like that. I didn't appreciate some of the things he said about A. Steele's wife, Lucy, and some of his tweets. And I was just tired of it. And that's all that was behind it. It wasn't just me throwing it out there to throw it out there. And you are welcome to be upset or whatever you want or draw your own whatever uh, opinions about this. But from my perspective, that's all this was. Um, so World's End, Chris comes out to do this eight-man tag. And it was weird because like it was like 50-50 booze. And then I think there were a lot of people that were like cheering Chris, leaning over to their friends who were booing. And were like, dude, why y'all booing Chris Jericho? And then they start to talk about it. By the end of this match, it was uh, it was it was a total distraction, right? The the chan the fans of in, the chance of NDA, the chance of Kylie Ray. This is Sting's penultimate pay per view match, and unfortunately, it will probably not be remembered for the historic moment that it was. Uh, I I think that a lot of people would have liked to have seen a, a way for Chris to have been pulled off this card for the time being, while they figure out the the best way to kind of address the situation. But that's not what they did. Robert has said they decided to push forward as if nothing's going on. And put him out there, and, and and this is what we got, man. So before we get to kind of the post show stuff, yeah, tell me what you thought about what played out here during the match itself. What was unfortunate was, you know, this this story happened on Friday and seemingly caught fire Friday night into Saturday morning. AEW had time to adjust. I think it's fair to say folks were not tuning into World's End specifically for this eight man tag. They pulled. No. Keith Lee from the from the Swerve match, there were ways out of this if there was concern that this was going to be a distraction. And they were oddly very quiet about everything going into it, and they didn't change or tailor the way the match was structured. Chris was still prominent as a babyface, and then the, the post-match moment where it was everybody go clap for Sting felt a little bit like we're covering up everything else that's going on. And yeah, it is unfortunate for Sting. And I, there was a comment in here from uh, Lloyd Nicolette that said, can AEW have a pay-per-view without drama? Uh, and it is it is unfortunate because these guys are going out there. They're working really hard to put on a quality show. And pay-per-view after pay-per-view, our narrative is not what a blowaway show. It's what happened behind the scenes, which is vintage WCW. Yeah, no, it is. It, it was a, a very distracting thing. There were some weird moments too, like Ricky Starks. I know it's like, oh, a baby face or a heel flipping off the baby face, but the moment where Starks flipped off Jericho came across very, very odd. Odd. I believe Darby Allen screamed something at the top of the entrance ramp that seemed very, very odd. And Chris himself seemed to kind of be thrown by the reaction of the crowd here. I mean, I definitely noticed him. I mean, I felt physically reacting to the moment and seem, seeming very uncomfortable. I don't know if that's how you felt about what you were looking at with him physically while he was having to endure what he was going through from the audience at that moment. I think that there, there was a sign that was prominent 
right opposite hard cam uh, about Jericho and NDAs. And I, it looks as though he saw that. And I think he was caught off guard a little bit by the reaction. And I think that the easiest way to do this, it's tough because on the one hand, you want to say, maybe, maybe you pull Chris, you do an injury angle, you do something and do a six man tag and let these guys go out there and shine. But then it's almost like they're admitting something. And mm-hmm. nothing has been, you know, the, the, their disciplinary committee, it's clear. There's no allegations that they've investigated. There's no reason for them to have pulled Chris. It was people reacting beyond just your comment, but more the the actions that occurred after of you posing this, this question and people kind of coming forward and saying, you know, hey, th- there feels like there's more meat on the bone here than what happened. Yes. And yes. that was what people were. People were reacting to the rumor and innuendo around this. And it did take away from the match. Well, it, it is. I think when somebody who is alleged to have been a victim here seems to tweet, you know, an endorsement of an allegation that that carries a lot of weight to it. Right. A lot more weight than me just saying, I don't like Chris Jericho. I think he's an issue. Right. It, um, it does. And and I will. And just because I don't want it to make it seem like we're being hard on AEW or anti-AEW, WWE had a far more disgusting display in some regards when all the Vince stuff happened and Stephanie goes out on SmackDown to get a thank you Vince chant. And I'm just like, how tone deaf are you? When those were actual allegations that had been filed, that was what made this even more, that was what made that even more bizarre. What occurred here definitely marred the situation. And I think to me, not to jump too far ahead, Tony and those guys, monitor social media better than anybody they had to have seen that this was a trending topic this was a narrative he should have had a response if not before the show at least after the show during the press conference to get out ahead of it and say whatever it is he was going to say and maybe while not wearing that hat yes so let's let's get into tony's post-show uh media scrum comment so uh i stayed up uh way too late watching this post-show media scrum uh Sad I wasn't there for some reason, but so, so happy I wasn't for others. This thing went all night long to the point that I thought Tony was like trotting people out to just keep talking to fill time so that there was like maybe a chance he didn't have to do one-on-ones at the end or whatever. But um, we get into the the segment there uh, with, I believe it was uh, Julia Hart that was on stage with, or yeah, Julia Hart that was on stage with him. And he's got, so Tony Storm put her fuzzy hat and sunglasses on Tony for those that haven't seen. He looked basically like the lead singer of Jamiroquai for all mm-hmm. intents purposes, right? And so he's on stage and he's wearing this hat and he's wearing these sunglasses and Ka- Kevin McElvaney uh, from uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, was the first person to ask about allegations and how they would be handled with AEW. He did not mention Chris by name. And at that time, uh, Tony proceeded to talk about how safe the company is, how they have policies here. And if anybody ever has any issues, they can come to him personally about them. Now, uh, on that front, uh, first of all, I, if, when you're talking about a subject like this, I agree with many people. I'd have taken off the hat and sunglasses and given it the seriousness it deserves, first of all. But second of all, I was really kind of taken aback by the fact that for a company of this size, that there's not some kind of independent HR department that people can go to about these specific issues. If you've ever been in a company, I think you know how difficult it is to talk when you have an issue with a coworker, uh, especially to your boss, especially if your boss is friends with that coworker. It creates an environment where it's it, it's not it's not really conducive to uh, a, 
to dealing with these situations in my opinions. Do you think that I'm far off base with that, Robert, or no? I think with, again, I can only point to what it was in WWE, having a, a robust HR department and policies. It wasn't like you go to Vince and say, this is what supposedly what happened. I think Tony was trying to say like, look, if there's an issue that's going on here, my door is open and I have a sympathetic ear. It, it's, it was my, my point was less kind of that and more, he should have had something prepared, a canned response, something to go yes. out there and say, and we've seen it. It's not like there's not a template for it. We've seen when triple H does these press conferences, half of what he says feels like a canned response. It's like he went to like debate camp before, which happens a lot in presidential debates, and you have a, a three-word, five-word, ten-word answer that you're going to get in front of. And I think that yes. he had to know that question was going to happen. You want to know what you want to say, and I think the idea is we take any allegations seriously. If there was something that was brought to our attention, we would have investigated it thoroughly. We are unaware of anything. If we ever are aware of it, we will treat it in the same manner of dignity and respect that it deserves and i'm sorry that i'm wearing this hat and sunglasses and look like <laughs> prince when he was on the new when he was on new girl so yes that didn't happen and i think that was part of what really surprised me more than anything else yes and tony was given the the opportunity by phil strom of usa today uh point blank who uh brought up he, he asked you know about these allegations against Chris Jericho, have you ever uh, had anyone internally bring up to you accusations of sexual misconduct against Chris? And was very explicit about it, right? Like, and it was it wasn't just misconduct; it was sexual misconduct. And Tony just has to say no, right? Tony just has to say we are not aware of that, just like you said. And Tony failed to do that. Tony could not say that, or did not say that. And um, I think that. That is its own kind of statement. And I just, it, my heart breaks because I think about all the women in that company. Um, they have fathers and brothers. And if your daughter or sister or wife or mother is going to work the next day at AEW after watching Tony Khan's response, do you feel great? I wouldn't. Again, I don't know. I don't know what was discussed in the locker room, how they presented this to the to the wrestlers that are there, the employees in general. I'm hoping that if nothing else, Tony saying my door is open makes people feel comfortable that this sort of environment going forward is going to be one where people can speak freely and say whatever it is that they feel they need to say about any wrongdoings, not just sexual, just across the board. I, I really feel AEW should have an independent HR department that people can go to that is not tied to the company. I think that would be a very positive step right now and would show a lot of transparency. So that would be my request. No clue if it'll happen, but that would be my request in this situation. Just because, again, I just think it's all very peculiar the way Tony acted in that scrum. I was not, in, I was not enthralled with Tony's behavior or responses like many uh, after the show. So and anyway, we'll see. You know, he's someone who does listen to a, a lot of different voices he takes a lot of these things to heart and hopefully he will see this as an opportunity to learn and grow going forward and if nothing else it helped distract from what this press conference could have turned into which was <laughs> what the fuck was that main event reveal of the devil come on yeah, like yeah. it's it's like that that was where i thought this show that's kind of what i thought like at the end of the day friday it's like well 
when we, we knew Monday we were going to be off because it was New Year's Day and we had Stephen P. New. If you haven't listened to that interview, go back and listen to it. And then we thought, all right, Tuesday, we're going to talk about this devil reveal situation. <laughs> and we're like 17 minutes in and we're first getting to, all right, you know, the devil. What, let me ask you, Nick, what did you think of that devil reveal? Um, hmm. What did I think of the devil reveal? I actually didn't mind the devil reveal, right? I actually, to be fair, I don't really hate anything about what's going on here with Max or this storyline. I thought this storyline, considering where it started and how many directions it could have gone, landed about as, I think, as well as could have been ex expected. I think the Adam Cole as the devil actually kind of makes sense. You know, you go back, you look at him introducing Samoa Joe. I think Matt Taven, my, uh, Mike Bennett uh, getting the Ring of Honor tag team titles as the kingdom makes a hell of a lot of sense. Wardlow makes sense. I love Roderick Strong standing there looking like a badass and not a joke. I would like, I can't wait to see him now that he no longer has to play the fool, what he looks like off the chain with a little bit uh, more character under his belt. And now Max could go out and pretend he's a free agent and run his angle and be off TV here for several months and come back and seek his revenge against the devil. I personally did not hate it as much as many others did, but but Robert, what did you think about the way the AEW Devils storyline played out? So the thing that surprised me the most about this is you've been playing this notion the whole time of who's the devil, who's the devil, who's the devil, and you didn't get the unmasking. I think that, <laughs> to me, from a visual standpoint, from a production standpoint, you're waiting to see who's going to pull off the mask and who is it going to be under there. And instead, it was that whole kind of kabuki-ish, the lights go out, and then they come on, and Adam Cole was sitting there in the chair, and they kind of missed the shot, and then they missed the shots when the guys took off their masks at first. It's a pretty big moment, and it was already somewhat marred by the finish of the match. So the finish of the match, you have Joe choking out Max. It's arm raise, drop, arm raise, drop, arm raise, drop. And the audience kind of just has that moment of like, wait, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And then they just start chanting bullshit. And it felt a little bit like when Taker's streak ended. And you heard mm. the three, you go, wait, what just happened here? And it takes you out of the moment because you did not expect, you knew Max, I think most people knew Max was going to lose. I think most smart fans were well aware this was going to be the end of the MJF title run. I don't think you expected it to end in the manner that it did. And I, I get the underlying story of he's so run ragged by what the devil has put him through, that he has been run through the mill. He's physically broken. Eventually, something's going to give. But the audience just took this as this is bullshit. And that was really I felt terrible because I know the story they were trying to tell. And I think that kind of got lost there in the moment. And then personally, yes, when they reveal who was behind the masks and who was under it. It's three guys we've just watched as a comedy trio for quite a while and Wardlow's disheveled hair. All very valid points, Robert. All very valid points. Again, I'm, I'm not hard to please when it comes to pro wrestling storytelling. I just kind of like it if you try. Uh, I, thought this, I thought this was fine. I do think there will be fan interest on it uh, come Wednesday. I'll be, I'm interested to see how Adam, Call, Adam Cole follows up on it. And... Um, We'll see where it goes. But also on uh, World's End, Eddie Kingston, he won the AEW Continental Classic. He is now a triple crown champion. Good for Eddie. Uh, man, this guy has been, if he smells like smoke, it is because he has been through fire. Uh, what a year for Eddie. 
when they started this thing and they they took the ROH and New Japan Strong titles off of him and put them up for grabs, I was going to be super salty if he did not win this tournament because what a way to have your title reign ended. Uh, fortunately, with the opposite direction, he got to have competitive matches, uh, victories over some top names in the co company, um, and is positioned very, very strongly here going into 2024. I think so. Uh, what was a weird takeaway from this was I didn't expect World's End to conclude with seeing Eddie Kingston be booked so strong and Swerve booked so weak, considering Ooh. how the crowd has been responding to these guys. I said all along, Eddie Kingston is the Mick Foley of AEW, and he is the, the hard scrap guy that the audience gravitates to, and they wanted to see that amazing moment. Swerve was the breakout star of this tournament. Outside of me being my hatred of math, which I get all the time now from people <laughs> telling me how much I despise math. Uh, and if I was victimized uh, as a child by just cruel math teachers, um, thank you, Miss Swant. But regardless of the fact uh, of, of bad math teachers in the past, I thought for sure this was going to be an opportunity for Swerve to really just go out there and put a stamp on, this is your guy going forward in 2024, and he's going to be a champion. And I felt the way that they booked him against Dustin to me was really baffling. Yeah. So let's talk about Swerve real quick. Um, Keith Lee was injured. They acknowledged that just before the showtime. He got pulled last minute. This feud is absolutely cursed between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. So uh, Keith Lee has, I guess, been teaming with Dustin Rhodes often on that. I wasn't aware that they were still a tag team. Regardless, Dustin gets called up here to do the spot with Swerve. Uh, right out the gate, Swerve does this incredible stop spot with the cinder block on the outside uh, to take out Dustin. And, you know, Dustin gets in the ring injured, and it just felt like they were setting up Swerve to pick up just like a real quick, fun victory to send the message, I am upset, I'm pissed. But following the cinder block spot, we got like a 15-minute like competitive-ass match between Dustin Rhodes and Swerve Strickland that left my jaw on the ground. I could not believe they did this. I, I was baffled by the decision-making on this one. I got to caveat this and say, I'm a huge Dustin Rhodes fan, been a huge Dustin Rhodes fan for years. Would have loved if during his actual AEW run, for the most part, he was booked this strong as this tough, scrappy veteran who overcomes all the odds. This was teed up perfectly for cinder block spot, swerve stomp, everyone's sad because Dustin's a beloved figure and you want to make the crowd hate Swerve. They were cheering Swerve when he first was destroying Dustin. So I felt bad for Dustin. I thought maybe Dustin, this is going to be Dustin's world's end of AEW. And then they put on this long competitive match, which only made Swerve look worse in my opinion, which sucks because I really feel like he is such a once in a generation talent that they should be positioning as their top guy. And when Keith Lee tweeted out, I'm hurt, I'm injured, I don't know how I'm going to do tonight. I thought, all right, this cinder block booking makes perfect sense. He's already teeing up, whether it's storyline or not. I've been hurt for a long time. You take him out with a cinder block, he can then go away for a while, and Swerve gets his heat. This was weird. Yeah, it was super, super weird. Um, I will be interested to hear over time the decision-making that came out for this one. Uh, but the last thing here, talking about decision-making and some WWE-style booking, Adam Copeland and Christian Cage just going for it. Like, if you like the Attitude Era, you have got to be in love with what Adam Copeland and Christian Cage are doing right now. You have uh, the former Luchasaurus Kill Switch winning a Money in the Bank-styled contract for the TNT title earlier in the night. 
Copeland then, after a grueling match, defeats Christian Cage, wins the title. But no, the ultimate opportunist kills Switch, pulls the ultimate opportunity on the ultimate ultimate opportunist, Adam Copeland. He gives the contract to Christian Cage, who signs it, attacks Adam Copeland, and wins back the TNT title, and he scoots out of Dodge with it. This felt more like an angle that should have been suited on Dynamite than a pay-per-view blow-off. How did you feel about this one? As the longtime WWE guy, man, did I love this. The match, you liked it, okay. I love the match. The match, in my opinion, was probably the best match on the show, which is weird that it was two it was. You know, 50-year-old guys uh, were, the, were the breakout stars, but you told your story. I figured you needed to get Copeland to win, and as soon as I found out that Killswitch won this non-briefcase, money-in-the-bank briefcase, I'm like, the, the finish here should be Copeland wins, Luchasaurus comes out, or Killswitch comes out, gives the contract to Christian, Christian gets the title back, and that's what they did. Great. And the fact that now Nick Wayne is the man who cannot be lit on fire is the best gimmick of all time. The man <laughs> defies flames. I was grabbing the back of my head when I saw that spot go awry. Holy hell, that looked very, very painful. Nick Wayne, man, earning his stripes. The only note for Nick Wayne, if I was, I know they don't have creative, if there was creative, he should have been screaming for his mom. If you would have just heard this this screaming mommy over and over, what heat that would be. That would have yeah, been fantastic. Otherwise, it was uh it was, you know, probably the best match of the show. I agree. And look, just to call out why they probably did the finish, I'm guessing they're setting up some kind of huge rematch at the next pay-per-view AEW Revolution, some kind of hell in a cell or something like that would be my guess, right? I mean, that this was to set up whatever Christian whispered into Killswitch's ear that I guess, you know, maybe Killswitch's brother is alive. Is it Kane? It's got to be. <laughs> maybe a TLC match. You know, maybe that's what they're setting up here. You know, some kind can of it, no By the way, match. can it be a fake Kane and it's played by Kevin Nash? Absolutely. That is my fantasy book right there. <laughs> Yes, and my friend. Yes, and call up Nash. Get that Oz gear. Um, I'm gonna skip. Well, there's a couple more AEW notes of note here. We're gonna save them tomorrow. We only have a couple minutes left. We would be remiss, uh, and we'll talk about Kevin Dunn tomorrow too, because I really do actually want your thoughts on the. I don't want to just do it in like two minutes because I think there's a lot there. But Is it wrong that I hope that's how they let him go in two minutes? <laughs> Come on now. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Come back. Um, but we would be remiss if we didn't close the show talking about The Rock's appearance on WWE Raw Day 1. Uh, they teased a former champion. They sent out Jinder Mahal. Masterstroke. Chef's kiss. <laughs> I, I knew from the moment Mahal came out, we were getting Dwayne The Rock Johnson. No doubt about it. <laughs> so I will say, though, that I thought Mahal's anti-American promo was really it was, it felt very much like Mustafa's Ali's gimmick, doesn't it? Like a little bit, like it kind of felt like the angle Ali wanted to do, but they didn't let him do. And now that he's gone, I kind of feel like they gave it to Mahal. I could be way over reading that situation, but there seemed to be similarities to me. No, this was gender going out there, which was weird because, you know, guys, where was Veer? That's, oh, that's yeah. the real major story. But no, but more importantly, you needed to send somebody out there as a former champion. It made perfect sense for it to be gender. You give him this anti-American rhetoric, which felt a little bit like Muhammad Hassan. It's easy, cheap heel heat for Rock to go out 
and bulldoze over. It didn't feel at all like what Jinder's character has been. No. It, I'm ha- look as as someone who's friends with Jinder, I'm happy he got that moment in in the spotlight to at least be out there, get on TV. But yeah, this was the guy insulting your local sports team or making fun of your hometown hero. And then here comes the baby face, but it was all of America and it was our future president, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Yes. Bucks in 04 wrote, I thought it was setting the stage for the rock to lay the groundwork for his presidential run in 2024. It really did have that raw, raw pro America approach to it. Um, highlights for this, for me, was definitely one of them was the iron cheek impression that Dwayne did. That sucker was spot on. I thought that was incredible. Um, but of course the big, uh, to do coming out of this at the end of this after he's beat up Jinder Mahal he's addressing the crowd he says I'm going to a restaurant tonight when I sit in the booth should I sit in the side or the booth or should I sit at the head of the table big uh, big point towards the fact we're going to finally get this match with Roman Reigns some people want to see it at Mania some people want to see it at Elimination Chamber setting up a match between Roman and Cody at Wrestlemania what do you want to see Robert I want to see Cody's reaction when he found out Rock was going to be there that's <laughs> That's where the money was at. Hey, Cody, we need you to resign for five years right right now. We'll give you a lot of money. Don't worry about why. Are you signed? Good. You're not getting mania, buddy. (laughs) That's part part one. Part two (laughs) is I wanted you to FaceTime your good, close, personal friend, CM Punk, and be like, hey, Phil, you're going to finally get to main event WrestleMania. Guess who the other main event is? Part-time Dwayne. It was tough breaking that news to Punk. It was really difficult last night, everybody. I'm sorry to say. I'm um, sure, but it, look, it's I we, we you know I know the Australian government really wanted Rocket Elimination Chamber. It would be baffling for them to do Mania without Rock in some capacity. I said before, if you were going to bring Rock to Mania, I wanted to see Rock solo. So maybe it is Rock and and Roman at Elimination Chamber in Australia, and then you get some kind of screwy finish, and it sets up Rock versus Solo at Mania, and still allows you to do. Cody versus Roman, but I feel like you're giving away the big match everybody wants at a at a lesser show. We were all ex- we expected Rock Roman last year, and it didn't happen. And everybody kind of accepted, all right, it's probably not going to happen. And then when he showed up with Pat McAfee, people thought, oh, it might happen. And then all the reports were, this isn't going to happen. Let's get excited that Mania is going to be main evented by two essentially full time wrestlers in Cody and Roman on one side and on the other side it looks like Punk and Seth which is you're eating good but now you desperately want to see most people desperately want to see Rock and Roman as the big attraction the only advantage to that you can get Roman to that milestone of surpassing Hogan yeah and you know people aren't going to love it I think we might see Roman Cody at Elimination Chamber just because people seem to see be so passionate about it as a way to kind of get get through it on the way to Roman Rock, because I they have not kept this belt on Roman for so long for no reason. I have firmly believed from the beginning the big payoff here was always to do the match against The Rock with the title on Roman. I don't know why else they would have kept it on him through so many questionable periods unless this is what they ultimately wanted to get to. It is going to be a match they can count as a billion-dollar match billion dollar attraction match they will attach advertisements to this they will point to statistics i really want them to i think they're going to want to say that this match just this match generated a billion dollars i just i i just have it in my head that is where they're trying to what they're trying to accomplish with this biggest match of all time well david zaslov will politely disagree as he thinks that cm punk is the billion dollar man (laughs) but if you're having two nights of mania and they're both headlined by billion dollar attractions 
TKO's got to be pretty happy right now. Total knockout, everybody. All right. There was a lot of meat left on the bone here today, but we only got half an hour. We tried to get to the stuff I think you guys wanted to hear us most talk about. But, hey, we got 24 hours. Maybe there'll be bigger stuff for us to talk about tomorrow. Um, I am, of course, at Nick underscore Hausman over on Twitter. You can find me over at houseofwrestling.com, H-A-U-S of wrestling.com. I want to thank everybody who trafficked the site yesterday. Uh, it was the third most traffic day in the history of the website, and it was a very wonderful way to start the new year on my end. I know that there are a lot of people out there right now uh, who really are supporting me and have my back, and it means the world to me. And I just want to thank uh, everybody out there. We are we are we're setting up for an incredible, fun, and exciting 2024. That is way too much positivity for me to swallow. Uh, so, on behalf of the overly positive to the point of nauseating uh, Nick Hausman, I'm Robert Karpolis. Best of luck in your future endeavors.